thinking about that song. It is easy to lose sight of the fact that our God is greater. That He is the greater God. Sometimes what we're going against just seem to be, it seems to be greater. It seems to be bigger. <laughs> but it doesn't have to be that way. I remember I told you the story some time ago. When I, I did something in our company that I worked for against the policy. And the AGM area general manager came down, sat me down, said, Steve, why'd you do this? I said, man, I just wasn't thinking. And, and so he says, well, you got to go back and, and watch the security fi- footage again. And, and so I did it. Now, I, I had that thing memorized. I took enough of the people through it and had it memorized. But you see, I did something against it. And I couldn't stand there and say, well, I know better because obviously I didn't or I wouldn't have done it. So I went back and said, yes, sir, I'll do that. Went on back and watched those things again. Whenever we think that our problems are greater and we hear, get back to the Word, find out who your God is, we say, oh, I already know that. Apparently we didn't. Amen. <laughs> because if we did, if we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have thought our problem was greater. Just go back to the Word. Get back into it. Father God, my problem appeared for a little while to be greater. I know it's not the case. I know that you're greater. I'm going back to your Word to, to relearn that. The problems are never greater than your God. It's never, never forget that. Thank you, worship team. Always appreciate such great worship day. Lead us in every week. Praise God. This morning, folks, we're going to be over in Genesis chapter 12. We're going to be looking at some stories in the Word of God that are very familiar to you. We go back to these very often because there's much to be learned from them. And I don't think we've learned them all just yet. But we're going after for a particular purpose in how do we get out of God what we need? How do we get out of ourselves what God has put in us? How do we pull those things out? Because if we're missing some things in our life, it's because we haven't pulled out what we needed yet. And there's a way to, a way to do it. Many times we're pulling out the wrong thing. Don't be pulling out the wrong thing. Last week we were looking at the woman with the issue of blood. We saw that all these people were around Jesus touching Him. Only one person pulled something from Him. Only one. Everyone else was touching Him. All kinds of contact going on. But when the woman came up and touched Him, He said, power went out. Healing power went out. Because she accessed that. She pulled that out of Him. It was available to be pulled out, but not everybody did it. He did it. She did it. We looked at some of the things that were involved with that. First off, she spoke words of faith. There was joy. There was peace. There were hope in those words that she spoke. If we're going to pull things out of other people, we've got to look for, for what is good. Too often, folks, it's easy for us to spot what's bad in other people. And when we focus on what's bad in other people, we don't pull anything good out of them. We've lost the, the hope. We lost the things that were, that were good. We don't want to be doing that sort of thing. Cease all evil speaking. 
Don't be speaking evil about that person that you want to pull something out from. If that woman would have gone around and spoke evil about Jesus, she wouldn't have, given, she wouldn't have gained the same things. But she didn't speak evil. She spoke good. I know if I just touch the hem of his garment, I know I shall be made well. That's what we had to do. So speak words of faith. Look for what is good. Cease all evil speaking and receive what is given. Those are some of the things we went over last week. If you missed that, you can go back up and get a hold of those. But turn over to Genesis chapter 12. We'll have to do it the old-fashioned way. It looks like our projector is on the fritz here to, right now. So if you need a Bible, we have some in the back. Raise your hand or ushers will get one to you. Or you can walk back there and get one if you want to. If you have it on your phone, pull that up. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now it said that the Lord had said. And if you went back in the chapter before, we see that his father who apparently was also a believer, that uh, had gone along on this trip, and either he had gone along on the trip, he heard from God as well. However it was, he was going along the trip, and on the way to wherever it was that God was showing them, because he said, I will show you the land, I will show you the where it is. So on the way, they got stuck in Haran, and he, either he got ill or something happened, but he eventually died there. And so then Abraham picked it up again. Because the Lord had said, and apparently came and said it to him again, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. Make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There are six things here God said he would do. And there are two others that will also be accomplished. But six things that God said He would do. Now, always draw application to your own life. Is there th- Are there things in the Word of God that God says He will do that are not yet done in your life? If you can't answer yes to that, you're not studying the Word hard enough. Look at this. To a land that, first off, I will show you. So the first thing he says, I don't want you to go to a, to a land that I will show you. I want, I want to take you to a land that I will show you. I'm going to show you where this thing, this place is. I'm going to show you what we're, we have going on. Glory be to God. Might need somebody to go next door to our neighbors and ask them to turn their music down. That's kind of loud over there. I don't remember it being that loud all the Sundays, but it is today. So first off, to a land I will show you. That's the first thing. That's something that God's going to do, right? Now, apparently, in order for God to show him the land, what must Abram do? He's got to go. He's got to leave. That part's on him, but God will show you. Now, he didn't say, I'll tell you ahead of time. He said, I will show you. So he's got to leave and then and then go. Now, this day and age, you know, we don't, we don't just leave without calling up the destination on, on Google Maps or whatever map program that we're using, right? We type in the address where we're going. I even do it sometimes for places where I know I'm going. Just because it tells me the traffic. 
that's, that's going on there. And if there's a tie-up, then it helps me to get around it. And so sometimes I'll just pull that up for, for that reason. But we kind of punch in where we're going to go before we, we leave. But that's not what God's saying to do. He says, no, you, you, get, you get going. You start. And then I will show you. That's the first thing. Second thing, I will make you a great nation. I will make you a great nation. That's something that God says He will do, right? Still future tense. I will bless you. God will bless you. God will bless you. You know, if you have a little child who comes up and blesses you, they can only bless you as much as that little child has, right? Can't, can't bless you for any more than that. I will bless you and make your name great. And make your name great. So God is going to do that. I'm going to make your name great. There's a four things so far that God says He would do. And you shall be a blessing. Now this one, God doesn't say He will do, but He's going to be so blessed, He's going to be a blessing to other people. I will bless those who bless you. That's something that God's going to do, right? I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. So those are the six things God said he would do. Here's the second one of the things that would be accomplished. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now that's quite a powerful little little uh, statement right there. Quite a few things that he just put out. Therefore, that, that are going to happen. Well, glory to God. That's, that's a good thing. So here's what he's, he's told him. So he's, uh, he's got no reason to disbelieve it. He believed it. He left. He went on down to the land that God would show him. He didn't tell us all the things that happened on the guidance process. But in verse 4, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. Well, that wasn't quite exactly the way the Lord said. He said to leave them, but he didn't leave all of them. Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Morah. And the Canaanites were there in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent from Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. Now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there for the famine was severe in the land. So he gets to the land and he's calling it the land so he must know this is the land, this is the place. This is where I'm supposed to go. But he gets there and he says, there's a famine here. Huh. Now remember the words that God spoke to him. I will bless you. He walks in and there's a famine. How many of you feel blessed when there's a famine around? This is not so good. Maybe I got here too early. Maybe, uh, maybe something was off here. and that Maybe I'm in the wrong spot. So he keeps on going south. He goes into the land of Egypt. And well, that didn't uh, 
That didn't work out so well for him, did it? Going down into Egypt. This is the whole, whole part here. We don't have to read all this part of the story, but it came to pass here when he was getting into, into Egypt. He said to his wife, Look, I know you're beautiful. He's 75. How old do you think she is? I know you're beautiful. And uh, there's some guys in there and they're going to want to knock me out, get me out of the way so that they can marry you. It's not going to go well for me. So just say you're my sister. That way it'll be okay. I'll survive. I'll get on through this thing. Now that should have told him right there he's in the wrong place. I mean, if you got to start lying and covering up things in order for, for that to happen. But what was the promise that God said? I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Now, if somebody wants to bump you off so they can take your wife, how many would say that's a curse? This is not a blessing. So, if he was to believe the word that God said, what would happen? They say, you know what? You're my wife. If they're going to do anything against me, God said he'll curse them. Let's put this thing to the test. Let's walk right in there and be bold about this. This is not my sister. This is my wife. You got a problem with that? (laughs) And no one may have even had that. Where do you think that thought came from? Sure didn't come from God, did it? See, the enemy can sow thoughts in, into you to disrupt your faith. In order for us to pull out, in order for that woman last week to pull from Jesus what he had in healing, she had to be in faith. In order for Abraham to get in here and to, to be extracting from God all that he said, he's got to stay in a place of faith. And see, things come up, thoughts come up in our head. And we begin to think, did you feel that pain? Do you see how the economy is going? Can you see this over here? We begin to look at these things and it begins us to, to think, hmm, it's not going to go well for you. This is not going to be a good this is not going to be a good thing. And we begin to entertain that thought. And be, pretty soon we have actions apart from the Word of God. Abraham didn't have a whole lot of the Word of God in his day. But here's the one thing he had. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. So just look at those few things. I will bless you. He's going to bless Abram. I am, don't care what anybody else says, I'm going to bless you. And if other people come around and they bless you too, I'm going to bless them. That's a pretty good place to be. God's blessing you and other people are blessing you. Now, if anybody wants to curse you, I will curse them. So God says, I will bless you. I'll bless people who bless you and I will curse people who curse you. If he just stuck with those words right there that God said, he could have walked into Egypt and done fine. When the evil thought came, these people are going to kill you because your wife is beautiful. What does he say? God said... He will bless me. God said he will bless those who bless me and he will curse those who curse me. That's what God said. 
I'm going to hang on to what God said. I'm not going that way. Hanging on to what God said. But he didn't do that. He gave in to these things. How many times, folks, have we given in to these things? We know the story later on down the road that came out that Abram and he were married. And so the Pharaoh calls him in and says, hey, what's this going on? She's your wife. It's very obvious she's your wife. Why would you say she's my sister? One of the men may have taken her and brought terrible sin upon us. So he gave the order, no one touches this man's wife. And then they, they left. And then they came on back up into the land they were supposed to be at. Now, there's someone else. It's not mentioned here. It's not in the Word of God, but there's someone else who made the trip back with them. Anybody know who that was? Hagar's an Egyptian. They didn't pick her up in the land of, or in, in Haran. Picked her up here. They wouldn't have had Hagar there if they hadn't made the trip out to, to uh, Egypt. Would his life have been different if he had not have done that? Would our lives have been different if he had not have done that? Oh my. That is certainly the case, isn't it? Genesis chapter 13. So he didn't, he wasn't completely in faith. He was in partial faith, but not completely in faith. But he does return in better shape. He does come back in better shape than uh, how he went there. So he comes back to the land of famine. Right? Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot went with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai. So that was a wasted trip. End up right where you started. To the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also who went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's. The Canaanites and the Perizzites dwelt in the land. So strife came between them. How many of you would say the land seems to have recovered? It seems to have gotten, gotten better during this time. I don't know how much better. But it certainly has has uh, gotten better, but not quite enough. They can support their livestock on these these places. So strife came up. This is what happens. You got lots of men over there. They're looking out for their own interest. You got Abram's men over here. They're looking out for their own interest. We got to feed our livestock. We don't have to be concerned about your livestock being fed. We got to feed our livestock. So they take them to a pasture, and then the herdsmen of Lot they come over and they say, "Oh, there's there's stuff over there we can eat." So they come on over to the same pasture. And they get mad at them. Hey, we found this first. <laughs> well, we need some too. So strife is coming up between them. And this, uh, this strife will come up and they eventually, Abram comes up to Lot and he says, look, we need to separate. It's not doing us any good. We've got strife in between here. We don't like strife. Um, tell you what we do. You pick which way you want to go and I'll go the other way. In fact, let's just read over those scriptures. So Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me. Between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Tell you what, we ought to look for a lot less strife in our life. We have strife over things that just are not as important as they ought to, 
They feel like they're important at the time. But really, in the whole thing, they're not as important as we're making them out to be. And we're falling into strife over these things. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. If you go to the right, I will go to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of the Jordan, and it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Now think about this. Abram gives him the choice. Lot, look. You go which way you want. I'll go the other way. We don't want to have this strife that's going on here. You guys look after your herd. I'll look after my herd. And we'll just go that You tell me which way you want. So he began to look around and he saw, oh, as far as livestock is concerned, this is the best way to go. I'll take this way. I'll give Abram the way that doesn't look quite as lush. What did Lot just do to Abram? Did he bless him? No. What was the word? I will bless those who bless you. Now, Lot knows this because Abraham would have said it. He would have spoken it. He would have told people about it. If God showed up and told you that, wouldn't you be telling people? He knows that. And so he does this because this is going to help me even though it might hurt Abram. And so he does this. So what does that put upon Lot's life? Mm. Man. He thinks if I make this wise decision, I will go in a direction that will bless me. But he went against Abram. If he would have said, you know what? Looks real lush over there. Not so much. I'll take the more barren way. You take the good stuff. That would have been one way to go about it. Here's another way that would have gone about it. Sell some livestock. Why is Lot blessed? Why is he prosperous? Because of Abraham. But he be, he's beginning to think it's because of him. I'm as good at this as Abraham is. Look at my, my livestock are growing just as good as his are. I'm prospering just as good as he is. And he begins to think that he's the reason for our success, not Abraham. And so he says, all right, I'll agree to the separation. I'll go over here to this lush area and then we won't have to battle over anyone else and my herd is going to get bigger. But it didn't happen that way. I'll put this in your outline for you. Separation because of strife caused loss for one Separation because of strife caused loss for one. Who lost on that? Well, Lot did. We're not reading the whole story here, but if you get on down the road, we find out that Lot began to pitch his tent closer and closer to Sodom. And they became more influential to him. Up till this time, Abraham had been influential to him. And had taken him in a good way, but now he's going in a bad way. And by the time we come upon Lot again and the angels show up in the city, he is in the city. He is not outside the city. He is in the city. And apparently, no livestock. What if he would have just sold the livestock sooner? What if he would have said to Abram, Abram, we don't want to have this this, uh, turmoil. I'll tell you what, I'll sell half of my livestock so there won't be any contention. Well, he would have had the money from that sale. He would have had his, still had half of his flocks and he could have hung out there with, with Abram. There wouldn't have been any problem. What if he would have said, I'll sell it all. 
just I, I don't want to separate from you. I realize that you're the reason that I'm blessed and I want to stay around here. That would have been better for him. He would have had the money in, in wherever he would have put it. He would have had to turn it into silver and gold because you don't have to take silver and gold out the pasture and have it eat. You can just stay in the, in the spot that you got. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. He figured I can do this on my own. I'll tell you what, the number of people who separate themselves from people that God put in their life, who separate themselves from the Word of God. We talked about it in the Hebrew series. They begin to develop a habit of not associating with the people of God, not getting under the Word the way they were, getting a weaker Word. It will have an effect on you. Your success is because of your association with the Word and the people God has put in your life. Don't ever lose sight of that. It's it's real important. Last week we talked to you about that Wednesday night series we did. I guess it's two Wednesdays ago now. It's still up there on the internet if you didn't pull it down. But it'll show you something about how you're supposed to walk and what will make your way successful. Verse 12. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. To the point that he eventually was able to reside in the city with these sinful people. And they did not give him any trouble at all. And as soon as the angels came on in and they saw them, they immediately had a problem with them. But Lot, eh, he's one of us. Hmm. Not a good thing. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, north, south, east, and west. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. Now, if you are a David Ingalls fan, as I am, I was listening to some of his music. I was trying to find one in particular. I was going to see if I could find it on a YouTube video. And uh, bring it in here for you. It was not available on a YouTube video. I couldn't find it anywhere on, on that one. So I'll have to see what I can do do about that. But if you are, are a David Ingalls fan, you'll know he put this thing to music. And I can't read this without hearing that music. Hearing what was said. That's, and I love hearing his voice. He just kind of reads these, these scriptures here. It's wonderful stuff. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that a, a man... I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if a man could number the dust of the earth then your descendants could also be numbered. If your descendants if your descendants could be numbered. Hmm. So he takes Abraham up by the side. He says, Abraham, you gave him the choice told him to look north, south, east, and west and take what he wanted. Now, now I want you to do the same thing. I want you to look where you are. I want you to look north. I want you to look south. I want you to look east. I want you to look west. Do you see it all? Every bit of that. Every bit of that. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. How many people have ever dusted your house and been surprised at how much dust is there from the last time that you dusted? <laughs> I mean, I can 
that can be pretty, pretty crazy. Uh, my house is a little bit different from your house. My house is dustier than yours. I don't care where you live. My house is dustier than yours. Because I make dust. How many people here say that you make dust? Now we got, we got one. I make it. I produce dust. Every week, I make dust. I throw away sometimes two, three trash can bags full of dust. Some of it is a really fine dust. Really, really fine dust. And it gets all over everything. And I have three vacuum systems to take this dust and suck it up. And despite all these vacuum systems, twice a day at least, I sweep the floor so that the dust doesn't get carried from the floor into the house. And still, with all the vacuum systems and with sweeping the floor twice, at least twice a day, sometimes three times a day, I will sweep the floor in the shop. Still, dust gets out of the shop into the house. Now, if I just look at the dust in the shop and in one day, in one day, I can take a five-gallon bucket and fill it full of the finest dust you have ever seen. It, incredibly fine. Small specks. Do you think you could count a five-gallon bucket of extremely fine dust? Could you count that? That's one five-gallon bucket. Of that super fine dust, we produce at least two five-gallon buckets a week. At least two. Sometimes more. Then I have these big trash can vats that collect the wood chips that come from the planers. This is a lot of dust. I could not count the dust that happens in my shop in one week. I couldn't count the dust that happens in my shop in one day. Look at what he says here. I will make your descendants as the dust of Steve's shop. He doesn't say that, does he? He says of the earth. Of the earth. Now think of it this way. As dusty as my shop is, as I just paint that picture, think about in the Middle East areas. And when they have a Dust storm. You cannot contain that in a five-gallon bucket. This is a dust storm. How about when one of the, one of the volcano erupts, and not, not the, the volcanic uh, part of it, the, the ash that blows up into the air that has covered cities. Isn't that also the dust of the earth? So he says this, if you could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants could be numbered. Is that a vast number? Wow. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. But since a man cannot number the dust of the earth, no man will be able to number his descendants. He says of the land, arise, walk in the land through its length, its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. 
Now look at this as the Lord said. He said, Abram, I will give you the land. See this land here? I give it to you. I give you the land. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. Mm, wow. That's what the Lord said. Now, the first promise He gave him, the six things that He would do for him, the two things would come as a result of those, of him, of him doing that. Those six things, I will bless you. I will bless those who curse you. I will curse those who, who curse you and, and so forth. Of all those things, He struggled with it at first, but He eventually began to, to accept that pretty well. So much so, that in chapter 14, when people come and take Lot, He goes with His trained servants <laughs> and goes after the five kings and defeats them. Why? Because he got this down. If you bless me, God will bless you. If you curse me, God will curse you. If God has cursed you, I just got to go up there and clean up the mess. And so that's what he did. He had no problem with that. So he struggled with that a little bit. But this one, I will make your descendants like the dust of the earth. Another time he says, I'm going to make your descendants like the sand. Like the sand. And out there, they got a lot of sand. They got sand on the beaches. They got sand in the deserts. They got a lot of sand. If you plan on going down to the shore, Jersey Shore, Maryland Shores, Virginia Shores, whatever ones you, if you plan on going down to the shore just for fun, borrow one of the little kid's buckets and scoop that bucket into the sand and just set back yourself out there and start counting that little bucket of sand. You'd be surprised at how much sand you can get in one bucket. But this is another thing that God said. The dust of the earth, the sand. He says, if you can number the sand, you can number your descendants. But here in verse... 1 of chapter 15. After these things, where the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said to the Lord, or Abram said, Lord, God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Now look at this again in verse 1. After these things, that's after chapter 14, when he went out there and took on those kings. After that, the word of the Lord came to Abram, how? In a vision. Now, if God appears to you in a vision and speaks something to you, how many of you are going to argue with him? I mean, if God speaks something to us in our spirit, sometimes we may argue with that, right? Have you ever argued with what God gave you in your spirit? Yeah, but we're talking a vision. However the vision transpired, it was, it's called a vision. So God appears in a vision and says this to Abram. And what does Abram do in the vision? Or to the vision? Either in the vision or to the vision. He says, what are you going to give me? <laughs> so back in chapter, chapter 13, he says, I'm going to make your descendants like the dust of the earth. Dust of the earth. And in chapter 15, what are you going to give me? See, we're not, we're not believing this, are we? But look at the first words that God speaks to him. He says, 
do not be afraid. You see, if you're in fear, you're not in faith. Cannot be in fear and be in faith. They cannot coexist. It's like being in light or darkness. Either you are in the light or you're in darkness. Because when the light shows up, what happens to darkness? It goes away. They can't exist together. Wherever the light is, there's no darkness. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Now, does God want him to have children? He sure does. He said this to him. He, he has said this to him before. This is not the first time he said it. He said, I will make of you nations. You cannot make from a person nations unless they have children. Because nations are not made up of building and lands. They are made up of people. You must have people to be a nation. You cannot be a nation without people. You gotta have people. You gotta be, you gotta be around there. If you want to be a, a nation, not only do you have to have people, you know what else you have to have? It's, it's vital. In fact, folks, there are three things, three things you must have in order to be considered a nation. Number one is people. You've got to have people. If you go out and you buy an island and you go and live there, it does not make it a nation. You need people there. So the first thing you've got to have is people. The second thing you have to have is borders. You cannot be a nation without borders. You must have a border. And when we look at the Word of God, when God describes the land of Israel, what does He do? He describes His borders. I will give you the land from here to here. From here to here. He described the border. They have never had the entire land of the borders that God described as of yet. But He says, I'm going to give it from here to here. And from, He describes the borders. And they're solid borders. There's, they're, they're bodies of water. There, there are things that the land stops there. And so, all right, this is, this is where, you know, if you go, if you go east of here, Pennsylvania stops where? The river. What picks up on the other side of the river? New Jersey. We don't have to wonder where the border is on there. It's right there. It's the, it's the water. There's border. If you want to have a nation, you've got to have people. You've got to have a border. And, This is really easy to figure out. If we are going to, if we are going to negotiate with another nation, who do we call? We call their government. Whatever form of government they have, we have to call their government. Whether they have a king, a president, uh, ayatollah, whatever, whoever they got. They have a dictatorship, they have a, Democracy, it don't matter. Whatever form they've done, if we want to discuss anything with that nation, we have to call that nation's leaders. However they came to them. So that's what you have. You have to have government, you have to have borders, you have to have people. If you have those things, you're a nation. There's other things a nation may pick up. 
It doesn't necessarily make them a, a nation. You can have an army, but you don't have to have an army to be a nation. You're not a very safe nation if you don't have an army. kind of ought to have those things. You don't have to have a navy, but it's probably a good idea. But he said, I'm going to make nations out of you. Nations. This, is involved, this involves people. So let's go back to the first promise. Then he comes back and says, I'm going to multiply your descendants to be like the dust. So again, people. People are coming into, the, into this. But he has a hard time with this one. He says, look, you have given me no offspring. Huh. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. It's your fault. You have not given it to me. You see, this is where a lot of people are in this area when we are trying to pull something from God that we need. God has not given it to me. Why aren't you healed? Well, God hasn't given it to me yet. God hasn't healed me yet. Why aren't you blessed? Well, God hasn't blessed me yet. Why aren't you this? Well, God hasn't done that for me yet. This is the, this is the place that we sit on. Often. This is where Abram is. Well, you haven't given me an offspring yet. You said you're going to, but you haven't done it yet. So we, so we know that God wants to. God said in His Word, I'm going to do it. So who are we waiting on? Oh, you know, we're waiting on Abram. And God says to him, first thing, he starts on here. Do not be afraid. Abram, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. So obviously the enemy has been coming in and sowing other thoughts, other things into him. You're never going to have any kids. No one's ever going to remember your name. Once you die, the name Abraham is going to go with it. No one will ever remember you. There's no nations coming from you. You don't even have a son yet. There's no babies in your house. These thoughts are coming into him. Same way these thoughts come into us. You're sick. You'll always be sick. You're in pain. You'll always be in pain. You're poor. You'll always be poor. Constantly we hear these things. Constantly they're coming in. Constantly they're telling us. These thoughts are coming in. The Word of God tells us this. But the thoughts come in, you will be this, you will be that. And it gets us to the point where we get like Abram, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for God to come through. But you see, you need to learn how to draw it out. It's like a well that's put down there. You've got to get the right tools and go down into that well. Just because Jesus was sitting at the well doesn't mean he had what was needed to get the water out of it. You need to, you need to go down there and get it. You can be that close to it. Sitting right there on top, right by the well. But you can't get down because you don't have what's needed. God may tell you, this is what's in the well. Abram, this is what's in the well. There's prosperity in the well for you. You're going to be blessed. There's descendants for you. There's multitudes of people. This is what's going to go on. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Can he make it any more plain than that? You will have a son. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. 
And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted to him for righteousness. He said, Look up, see if you can count the stars. Now, I don't know if you all pay attention to uh, star science. I love star science. I like telescopes. I like Hubble pictures. I like all that sort of stuff. But I heard um, recently that you know, some pictures were made, made public where they took the Hubble and for the second time they aimed it at a black area of space and just kind of left the lens open to collect all the light they could. Anybody see those pictures that came from there? Now, my first thought was, why are we aiming it at blank areas of space? Why don't we aim it where there's you know, some, some stars at? Why are we looking for blank, black areas of space? That was my question for you. You know why they're looking? I began to think about this, kind of ponder it, just from the science that I know and the thing. Well, the reason they would point it to a, a black area of space is because light from the closer stars would drown out light from the more distant ones. So if they can find a black area of space and zone in on it, then none of the other stars' light will drown out what would be pulled out. So cause the, way they, the way they pitch this, sometimes it sounds like all these things are in these dark areas of space. That's not it. They're actually all over. But the only place that we can actually see them is in an area of space that is completely black. Does that make sense to you? So they aimed it there and they found galaxies. Just so many galaxies they couldn't count them all in this one area of black space. Not just stars. They saw galaxies. They saw solar systems. They saw all these things moving around. They said it was amazing all the things that they were able to find in there. They said this universe is even bigger than we thought. So all Abraham could do was look up the, and look at the ones he could see. And God says, try and count them. Try and count them. Can't do it, can you? Boy, can you imagine if you could see all of them? Whew. Man, that would be something else. If you could see all of the stars, trying to count them, that's not going to happen, is it? Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven. Count the stars, and if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. So it's going to be like the dust. It's going to be like the sand. It's going to be like the stars. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to, in, to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? And he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer. Heifer, excuse me. A three-year-old female goat. A three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he said, all, the, all these to him and cut them in two down the middle. Placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcass, Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, there's stuff you can teach on that, but we're not here for all that part. We're, we're looking for one thing in particular here. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror, great darkness fell upon him. And then he said to, to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. So first off, they will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. So God is very specific. This land is yours. This land is not. There, we know that they were in Egypt. Egypt is not a land that was theirs. He said 400 years. They will serve them for 400 years. How many years did they serve them? 
Think back on your history here. How many years did Israel serve Egypt? The Word of God is very clear about it. And it says 430 years. Now, if you're going to look at when Moses missed God and ran out when God was first calling him, you would find out that it was 40 years after that that he came back and did it. So that would mean that from the time that Moses got the call, 10 years from that is when he was supposed to walk in it. He tried to walk in it right away and failed, got discouraged and quit. Came back 40 years later, 30 years later than God said. Why? Because man didn't do what they were supposed to do. They didn't follow the instructions. Now I want to show you this next verse here. This is, this is kind of fun. Not on the same topic, but just kind of fun. And also the nation whom I, they serve, I will judge afterward. They shall come out with great possessions. And then that what Israel did? Now as, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age and in the fourth generation. They shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. How many generations? Fourth generation. How many years? Four hundred years. What generation? The fourth generation. How many have ever heard this phrase in the in the Word of God that a generation in the Word of God is between forty and one hundred years? Most of the time in the Word of God, a generation we see is 40 years. Take Israel. This generation is going to go away and the next generation is going to come up and that time frame was going to be 40 years. And so whenever we've done the the timing with Israel, when Israel became a nation, we count out how many years? 40 years. Because 40 years is what was depicted in the Word of God. With, uh, with Israel. 40 year generation, 40 years died off. But here, fourth generation, how many years? 400. 400. So if you ever heard it said that a generation in the Word of God is between 40 and 100 years, this is, this is the other place where we come from. You divide 400 years by four generations, that's 100 years per generation. Now if you take all those end time prophecies that they had, where they added 40 years to it, what was one of them? 1967, they added 40 years to it. 2007 was supposed to be a year. or um, I forget all the different ones that they, they had. Add 100 years to it. And what do you get? <laughs> so, a little bit of a gap there, isn't there? See why you can't uh, be, be calling for all these dates? Can't be doing it. Anyway, let's go on here with, with this. Now, the problem is not in God's ability to do it. Right? He's, he's able to make a, a, have a baby come to him. That's not, that's not the problem. He's able to give them the land, isn't he? He can give them the land when he wants to. But he says, no, the, the iniquity of the Amorites isn't quite yet full. It's gonna be full. It's just not there yet. I gotta give them the time to fill up that iniquity. And then when I judge them, that it would be right. If I judge them before that, it won't be right. Even though I know they're not going to turn around. So he said the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. The grace of God is what's keeping that judgment from coming into place. So let's take a look at this. So what kept the well from being accessed? That word there, keep, change it over to kept. 
I had it phrased one way and went back and changed it and didn't change that word. But what kept the well from being accessed? God said, here's the well. You're going to be blessed. You're going to have inhabitants. You're going to have the land. What kept all those things from being accessed? God gave it to him. God kept coming to him and saying, Abram, this is what I'm going to do. Abram, go out and count the dust. Go out and count the sand. Go out and count the stars. Can't do it. That's what your descendants are going to be like. But the thoughts keep coming in. It's not going to work. It's not going to happen. It's not going to be successful. Can't do it. And he kept taking these things. And so in chapter 15, he says, don't be afraid. What's, what's he afraid of? These things not happening. Not having any kids. Not having anything that's going to come about and to, and to do this. This isn't going to be good. He's, he's afraid. These things are coming into him. So what kept the well from being accessed? He says here, well, I put in here in, in your blanks here, fear, because the first thing he says was, don't be afraid, fear or lack of faith. Fear or the lack of faith. This is what's going to happen for you. The enemy wants to put fear into your life. Fear is going to come in. And we're going, to, we're going to make decisions based off of fear. I'm not going to do that. I'm afraid this. We can't do that. I am going to do this because I'm afraid. If you make an action to do something or not to do something based on fear, you're not in faith and you'll miss God. I don't even care if you do the right thing. If you're not in faith, you'll miss God. You can't draw on the well that He, he has for you if you're not in faith. The woman with the issue of blood, she was in faith. That's how it came. The older son, he was not in faith. He didn't get what he wanted. What he thinks he should have had didn't come to him because fear comes in and we don't have faith. There's another one. No joy, no hope. There's no joy and there's no hope from belief in his words. You see, if Abram would have believed what God said, God said, I'm going to have multitudes of descendants. Multitudes of descendants. And if he just would have had faith in that, if he would have had hope that what God said was coming about, if he would have mixed faith with it, he would have been in joy. Instead, God comes to him in a vision. And what's he say? Well, when are you going to give me? <laughs> I don't have any kids. What else do I want? That's not a person filled with joy, is it? That's, that's, not, that's not good. We've got to be filled with joy. You ought to be... Um, always be thinking of how God is going to bless you. When the enemy comes in and, and begins to say, if you keep doing this, if you keep going here, if you no, don't, don't be listening to it. Push that out. You should always be positive. I was out um, delivering a bunk bed. What is today, Sunday? I was delivering on Friday. I was out there on Friday and driving around and went on down. Nice man. Really nice man to, um, to do this. He's retired. You know, he's got grandkids. We had grandkids discussions and we had fun. 
And so I, I'm packing up and I'm getting ready to, to go. I, when we got in there, this was a really tiny room. I looked at this and said, oh, well, my one hour setup is now going to be an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes. That's just for the one bed. <laughs> I said, man, this is tiny. It was so tiny. We had drawers that went underneath of it. And he even sent me a picture. I said, I just want you to know how tiny this room is. And so I, I said, I said, I'm going to back. Said, yeah, that's all right. I've been in tiny rooms before. It was so tiny that in order to get the second drawer under the bed, one of us had to lift up the bed so that we could get it to go underneath because there was not enough space to do it otherwise. We thought about building the thing around the drawers, but I didn't have enough room in the, enough space in the room to do that. <laughs> so I had to do it this way. So yeah, it was, um, it was, it was fun. But as we're getting ready to leave, he was, he was talking to me and he said this. He says, uh, I'm glad I got to meet you. He said, he said, I told my wife on the phone, you are the most up person I've ever talked with. He said, every single time I talk to you on the phone, you were just excited. You were just enthusiastic. You were easy to talk to. You were up. I thought, man, that is a fantastic compliment. Thank you very much. I appreciate hearing that. He was too. I never heard him down. I don't usually hear people that are, that are down, but that's what people ought to say about you. Because you see, if you're going to be down, why are you down? Because I am fearing something coming upon me. Can you be down without fearing that something is bad, something you don't want is coming upon you? The reason you get joyful and excited is because there are good things out here for me. There are good things out there. You've got to be thinking that all the time. God, you are out here to bless me. You're out here to bless me. So fear. Get that out. No joy, no hope. That'll hold you back. Words spoken identify what was in his his spirit. How many times does Abraham talk about the negative? Well, perhaps God will finally give us a child through Agar. He hasn't done it the other way. Maybe this is... He said it was from my body. He didn't say it was from yours. You can justify it all kinds of ways. See, they're not, not in faith. Now, we, we say all that to bring it down to your, your thing because you know, who, who cares that Abraham got blessed, right? You want to know how you're going to get blessed. How am I going to get out of this? This is the lifestyle you've got to pick up. Remember, God came down to Abram, changed his name to Abraham. I'm going I'm to force you to talk right. I'm going to change your name. What's your name? I am the father of many. Man, all right. How many kids you got? None. <laughs> I don't have a single one. <laughs> Father of many, huh? Father of many. That's me. Hmm. I'll bet you in the beginning he was kind of coy about this. What's your name? Uh, Abra. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how he did it, but eventually he got to the point where he wasn't, uh, he was bold about it. He was bold. Why? Because he said, my God is going to make my, mul- my descendants multitudes. Your name is father of many? Well, you're not doing a very good job. My God said, my descendants. He, de- he has to tell. How can you not? If you're meeting somebody and you're saying, my name is father of many, and I have none kids, I have one kid. Well, how's that, how's that supposed to be? My God has said, my descendants shall be the dust of the earth. My descendants shall be like the sand on the shore. My descendants shall be like the stars in the sky. That's what my descendants are going to be. That's what my God said. He's got to start talking like this. 
He's got to be declaring this. Instead of most of the time, here's how we are talking about our things. How is that thing doing? Oh, it's so sore today. Oh, I'm in such pain today. Oh, it's so bad. Can't be doing that. How's your job going? Oh, I don't know how much longer I'm going to have that job. It just doesn't seem to be going so well and sales are kind of low and I don't know, it just, it just seems to be, it doesn't seem to be working the way that it ought to be working. Seems like it, sh- seems like it should be going better. I'm, they're just not paying me enough at that job. They're just working me too much at that. These are, these are not joyful words. These are not faith words. These are fearful words. How should we be talking about our job? You ought to talk about your job like it's the job you want. Even if it's not. Go out there and speak about that job. I was able to do that with every single job I had except one. I had one job in my life that I could not do that with. I had one job that did not go well with me. And if people were to talk to me about it, I probably would have spoken negatively about this job. I left a job that I liked that didn't pay very well to, for a job that paid me better. That wasn't great, but it was better. And I had to go all the way down into Jacobtown for this job. And ride the bus. And most of the time I'm either running to Jacobtown from Willow Grove to Jacobtown or running back just to, to get back and forth. And they had me doing stuff, mundane stuff. It was all assembly line stuff. You know, put this liner, lead liner inside this plastic tube or put these two things together. And, and so, you know, I got in there and I was enthusiastic because I, I like to do things fast. I don't know if you knew that about me. But I like to do things fast. If it takes most people two hours, it should take me 15 minutes. is just the way I view things. I should be able to get it through pr- pretty quick. And so I approached this thing that way. And so they gave me a pile of things. And I said, all right, this is kind of boring, but we'll get this done. And so I knocked it out. And so they gave me another one. And I knocked it out. And they gave me another one. And I knocked it out. And so my, my boss got frustrated. And he said, well, you give this guy something to keep him busy for longer than an hour. And he did. And the first time, he says, all right, I want you to do this. It's a little, little more tedious, but maybe it'll keep you busy for longer. And they said, we got this lead, and you got to line it inside this thing, and you got to take the knife and carve it off. And bolt it under. It, was, it was tedious. And I got in there, and I found out I can't do this fast. It's long and slow and tedious. And I didn't like it. I was bored. I didn't, I wasn't excited about going to work. But I was excited about getting off. For I know what it's like to have a job that you're not excited about. And one day, he came to me and he said, I guess I work too fast. He says, we don't have enough work here to keep you any longer. And I said, that's Okay. <laughs> he said, I know we took you from another job you really liked. You think they'll take you back? I think I, I think he will. I went on back there. He sure did. And so I was happy. They were happy. I know what it's like to be in a job that you don't like. I've been in jobs that I liked that I ended up not liking to begin with. But your conversation about that job. Look at your words. Your words will tell you why your job is not going well. Your words will tell you. 
What are you saying about your job? Same thing Abraham is saying about his kids. I have no kids. You said you're going to give me kids? I have no kids. None. Zero. You get that? I got no kids. And I'm mad with you. It's talking to God. This is a bold guy. This is a guy who's wrapped up in fear. You have got to knock the fear out. And there is no one in this room who has the right to fear. No one. If Abraham didn't have the right to fear, neither do you. If Jesus didn't have the right to fear, neither do you. You've got to kick fear out. Fear is going in there and saying, well, I'm, I'm due a raise, but I know they're not going to give me a good one. They never give people good raises. Well, they don't like these people that I'm working with. Just negative things. We're just talking negative. Think back to last week. What were the things you talked negatively about? Did you talk negatively about your spouse? Did you talk negatively about your kids? Did you talk negatively about your job, about your health, about your finances, about your bank account, about the people you work with? Did you talk negatively about them? If you talk negatively about them, it's because you are in fear about something. No, I'm not in fear. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. What is God's advice? Every time he comes in the Old Testament and appears before people, what's he always telling them? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He even did it with people in the New Testament. Stop being afraid. Quit it. I don't care if a bunch of people did this to you. Don't be afraid. I don't care if your your boss didn't give you a raise last year, the year before that, the year before that, the year before that, the year before that, and the year before that. You come in there with a positive attitude. Glory to God, this is the year. <laughs> this is the year. Be excited. Be up. Here's the thing we've got to be changing. If you're going to pull things out of God, if you're going to pull things out of others, you've got to maintain faith, hope, joy, and speak words from a heart full of these. You've got to maintain faith, hope, and joy. Got to maintain it. God's not going to maintain it for you. You've got to maintain it. You've got to maintain faith, hope, and joy. Feed your hope on the Word of God. Keep getting into the Word of God. What's the, God, what's the Word of God promise me? Put some faith to it. Get your belief on that thing. Get yourself some, some joy. Oh, glory to God. When this comes about, I am so glad I am involved with this. God is doing this. God is at work here. God is at work there. Instead, the devil wants to get us to focus on things that are not going right. Things that are not going right. How many of y'all know this week things did not go right for you, right? Can you think of a place where things did not go right? I can think of something that didn't go right. I'm coming on back with my wife from the shore. Friday. Got delivery done. Nice words from the, from the guy on the way out. And I had an email from somebody. So I had to put a phone call out to him and said, hey, what's going on with this? Because I had a customer. They're all the way down in Maryland. And they wanted us to make a, a bunk bed for them. Not for Maryland. For South Carolina. Because they were going to take it from Maryland to South Carolina 
They got a house, uh, beach house down there, and they're going to set it up over there. All right. Well, we've been working around him and hauling about this thing for a little while, and they finally got to a place that they decided on it. and said, all right, well, I'll, I've got some other places I had to do for the shore to get them done. I'll, I'll work on a time, and I'll get that to you. I didn't think we made up a time. And this, this email I got from him said, hey, is Sunday okay to pick this up? Sunday. <laughs> this Sunday. <laughs> so I call him up and I says, um, I didn't think we made a time yet for this. Well, we, um, we're going to be over. They were, they were leaving for the Jersey Shore. They went from Maryland to the Jersey Shore. And on our way back, we just thought we'd come on by and pick it up. Huh. Come on by and just pick it up. All right. Well, let's see what we can do. I got some of the pieces there. I know I don't have because this is a, this is a, one of the ones that involves a queen. It's a twin over a queen bed, and it's got a trundle, so that's extra long. And there's a lot of pieces I don't usually have on hand. I said, all right. Well, I'm not making any promises yet, but if I don't do this, then I have to meet them somewhere in between here in Maryland, and I really don't want to do that. So I said, I'm going to see what I can do about getting this done. Now, you can get in fear about that, can't you? Can't get in fear. Got to stay in faith. Got to stay positive. So I stayed positive. Glory to God. We're going to find a way to get this thing done. Father God, I thank you. You can show me a way we can get this thing done. My wife was helping me out with some stuff, and she was getting some, some uh, sanding done while I was out there driving around. And um, so some of those pieces were, were ready. We got the rest of the, the pieces sanded. But there were four pieces that we were missing. I had to come on home from the... The, shore, uh, the, the jersey run and make these things up get them dry and then to, to proceed to try and get them all stained well I can only get some pieces stained couldn't get them all stained so we're doing it in pieces so anyway I'm putting this whole thing together yesterday afternoon I'm putting the whole thing together and we're laying out the post and I put that post down on there and I start drilling in and all of a sudden I see the post begin to split apart I have never seen that in 18 years of making bunk beds it has never done this before and so I took my hand, I slipped it on the other side, and sure enough, the split went all the way to the other side. It's split in this wood in half. I cannot send a bunk bed out to South Carolina with a defective post. What can I do? Well, fortunately, we had some other posts that were over there. I was able to get one, get it, sand it up, get it ready to go, and um, stained it up, freshly stained Board, had to reset up the thing for drilling, had to drill it, get it all drilled right. And this was a special bed. They weren't just drilled normal. I had a special mark, all of them. Got it all drilled, dropped it in there. Do you know, a, uh, having to replace the rail, which would have put me normally in a, I mean, you can see, a fear could come over you. This, this could be a deal breaker. And these people have already gone to the shore, on their way back, coming on in here. This could be a deal breaker. It was 5.10 in the evening. When that thing split. 525, I'm putting a new piece in. I looked at that because I was looking at the time. How much time am I going to lose on this thing? 15 minutes is all I lost. I should have lost a lot more time than that. I lost 15 minutes. And I could have let myself get in all kinds of fear, anxiety, lost my joy over 15 minutes. Ah. Now, think about this, folks. How many things have come up in your life? Knocking on the door, saying, I want you to become in fear and, ang- and become anxious about this. And when you look back on it, all you lost was 15 minutes. All you lost was a little bit of time. But you got in fear and anxiety over the whole thing. 
tell you what, we can put fear and anxiety on us for all kinds of stupid things. I was over taking my daughter to the soccer game yesterday, and well, it sometimes happens. Halfway through the uh, practice into the game, pop up, I need to go to potty. And I'm going to start the game. You can get anxious. All right, well, let's, let's run on over there. Yeah, that's not happening. But the whole time, I could feel this trying to come on me. I'm taking her, we're taking, take her by hand, we're walking on over to the bathrooms. Get this taken care of. And she's walking slower than I am. If I can either drag her along the way and transfer my fear and anxiety into her, <laughs> or I just tell myself, Steve, just slow down. Just slow down. You don't need to put fear and anxiety into her because you want to carry her back and get her into the game. Slow down. Took a little longer to walk on over there. Got on in there, got everything taken care of, and we're walking back. We're not running back. We are walking back. Very slowly. We're walking back. And we finally got on back there. And then we had to wait to get shifted back into the game. And the whole time I'm thinking, it was real easy for me to get anxious and try and drag her along. If I would have been dragging her along, then I'm putting the wrong thing into her. And this whole thing that was supposed to be fun is no longer fun. Just slowed myself down. At best, at best. If we would have run, come back, run out there again, at best, we would have saved five minutes. Is five minutes worth all that fear and anxiety and problems that we would have had? You see, sometimes we're losing perspective. That's why God kept bringing him down. Abraham, if you could number the dust. Think about dust. Think about sand. I want to give you some perspective. Come on out here and take a look at the sand. Can you number them? Come on out here. Let's get some more perspective. Look up in the sky. Now what God has done in this, this place is no matter where Abraham goes now, if he goes outside, he looks up at the sky. If it's nighttime. If it's daytime, he sees the sand. If he's inside the house, what's he see? He sees dust. Dust inside the house, sand outside the house, stars in the nighttime. No matter where he goes, he is always reminded of perspective. Don't look at your perspective down here. How many kids do I have? I want you to see it from my perspective. My perspective is you won't be able to number them. See, folks, our fear and anxiety comes because we have the wrong perspective. I think... I can't get this done. I'm going to fail. We must hurry. We must get there. We must get this done. And the fear begins to come on us, which means the faith goes. If the faith goes, so does your joy. So does your peace. And you're taking this whole thing on yourself. You cannot draw out of God and you cannot draw out of yourself outside of being in faith. And the enemy has such an easy time getting us out of faith, which means we don't draw off of God and we don't receive what he has for us. God keeps coming down to Abraham. Abraham, I got descendants here waiting. You're supposed to be taking them. 
You're supposed to be accessing these things. You did real good with that bless me part. After a rough start, you got real, you got going on that. But we're not doing so well here in the, the, the descendants part. I tell you what, that's our life. Because there are some areas that we seem to soar in the area of faith. And other ones that we just seem to drag. But your God has a way for you to not fear and to soar. Keep your perspective. Don't lose sight of what's in front of you. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you for the perspective that you gave Abraham. No matter where he was going, he was going to get perspective. In our life, Father, we need perspective because sometimes we just get lost. We begin to think, this is so urgent, I have to get this done now. Oh no, this happened, I'm going to fail. Oh, I felt this, that must mean. And fear comes in, drives out the faith. Joy goes, peace goes. And now we're trudging through. Wondering where our God is. Wondering where our help is. Wondering how we're going to get these things when all we really needed was the equipment to go down in the well and get the water that we need. You have all this available to us. And I thank you for it. With every head bowed, no one looking around, how many of you can say, fear and anxiety has gotten a hold of me even this week. I felt fear and anxiety knocking on my door. Raise your hand. Yeah, we, we're there. It doesn't have to be. You can look at this one way and have that fear and anxiety take over yourself. Faith will go out the window. Following right behind it is your joy and your peace. Or you can sit back and get perspective on it. Well, Father God, we weren't planning on this happening. So how are we going to get this going? Glory to God. Father, I thank you for the perspective that you can keep us in. We got to yield to it. We have to yield to your your words. We have to yield to what you're telling us because our flesh will hang on to those things that will pull that fear and anxiety right in. They will draw it out from whatever source they can find. But what we have on the inside can continue to draw that hope, that joy, that peace. It's all in you. We stay in faith and do as the Word of God told us over and over again. Do not fear. Thank you, Father. I thank you for your great love for us. I thank you for the help that you give us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Glory to God. This week as you take on this week, take it on differently than you took on the week prior. As fear and anxiety began to knock on the door, I want you to do some things to keep fear and anxiety, to keep the faith going on. And when you come back next week, write up a praise report. What you did. This is what I did to keep fear and anxiety out. Name as much of the situation as you want to. You may not want to name a whole lot of it. You may want to name all of it. 
It's up to you. But come in with something. Fear and anxiety tried to hit you this week. It tried to hit you the week before that. It's going to try and hit you this week coming up. Just know it's coming. Don't give in to it. What it's going to tell us is urgent. It's probably not as urgent as we think. Praise report from Jolly. Class action lawsuit settlement check at my job came right on time to help offset three quarters of our family's vacation. Flight tickets. God is great. Amen. Another praise report, Jolly and Mercy. Got a call from the Quakertown School District's nutrition department last week that our kids were refused free meals the past two years when they actually were qualified. Received a refund. Check for, wow, $1,700. Mm. Uh, Victor, my MPH program is concluded. Please be my guest at my graduation Friday, June 15th. <laughs> there we go. I have an opening somewhere at Reading to do my medical obs- observation, uh, observership requirements. All right. That is, that is good. How long does that observership last? Oh, it's a month? Done in a month, huh? Wow. Victor, thank God for the success of my second medical board exam. Hey, did you got the final stuff in there? <laughs> that, is, that is cool. And good news. Victor, traffic court case dismissed. The Hatfield Township Magistrate Court last week dismissed my traffic court um, citation for a uh, motor vehicle offense and refunded my payment. Restored my revoked driver's license. Praise God. God is great. Wow. That is cool. Good praise report. Um, Ray Zaff, uh, with our finances challenged, um, I miss, I'm, is it currently? Currently, we received my, um, man, I'll tell you what, you, you, you're, right, you're right like I do, but just different. <laughs> no, he's not cursive. He's, he spells it like I do, it's just different. Um, what was it? Something received a. Oh, an unexpected check. I got it, from a hospital affiliate for Sarah used to, that Sarah used to go to. Um, apparently, an overpayment from the past, and Sarah is now a high school graduate. Oh, she graduated this year too. Wow. Praise also graduated on uh, on Thursday. Praise God. And then, let's see, we got all, all that. I think that was all that. So, Rob, two, prayer, two prayers. Uh, Jeremy is headed today to summer groups this summer and would like a prayer for this season, or summer camps. Yeah, he's working the summer camps, I heard, this, this year. And I don't see him anywhere around, and Phyllis will be next door as well. Well, we can, we'll pray for him. Um, and Candy went to the PR for my three-month check. Oh, for the doctor. For my three-month checkup. Blood pressure is still up. Also, B12, uh, very low, but not claiming. Not claiming them. Not claiming it's mine. <laughs> there you go. All right, let's all stand up one more time. We pray for these, pray for these things. Glory to God. Glory to God. Stretch your hand out to Candy over there. Glory to God. Father God, we just thank you that whatever this body needs, Kenny's body will have in the name of Jesus. High blood pressure, we just command that you go down. And that nutrition element that they're pointing at in the name of Jesus. 
her body is able to extract from the food that she takes what it is that she needs. Father, we thank you for that. Glory to God. I thank you for the wisdom that you speak to her spirit on things to eat, on things to do that will affect her body, cause her body good things in the name of Jesus. Father, we pray for Jeremy as he starts off with these summer camps that you give him wisdom, that you give him the spirit of counsel and the things that he will be doing with the the people there, the Father, the things that come out of his mouth will rise up from the word of God that's on the inside of him. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Well, good to see you here today. Bless some of the folks that are around you before you, you go and get out. Like we said, praise graduated on Thursday. When was Sarah's official graduation? Because it's online. Is, it, is there an official date? June 5th was her official date. So we've got three of the, three of the graduates now. So, all right. Glory to God.